This is Open Forum. FM every Saturday 4 to 6 p.m. Jagat Dinkar and Subodh welcome you on the best talk show in Houston, Texas. When you talk, everyone listens. This is Open Forum. Welcome back to Open Forum every Saturday here in Houston, 103.5 FM. You can listen to us on humfmradio.com. It is Saturday, 21st, and it is going to be a little political today in our studio as we're going to be talking about the upcoming mayoral election in Houston, uh, November the 7th, 2023. As you all definitely know, that uh, Houston mayor terms are limited, and uh, Mayor uh, Turner is going to be finishing his term this November. And uh, my friend Jagat called me this morning saying, hey, we need to talk about that. I'm like, Jagat, you say so, it's going to happen. So here we are. We're going to be talking about the mayor's election, upcoming election in Houston, 2023, November the 7th. Welcome to uh, Open Forum. Jagat, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. Fantastic, and I see you've got a great um, guest out here today. Absolutely. I mean, be... she is a wonderful woman. Fantastic. I, right. missed the, I missed the coffee that you all had earlier I today. I know. And, uh, I would, he uh, was actually thinking about you. He said, how come the gang is not here? <laughs> I said, I'll bring that gang, gang next week. Next time I will be there. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why I wasn't there. I, uh, I, just, I to, just to clear the air out here on, <laughs> on, on air. Let me just clear this. I'm going to the Indian Doctors Association uh, gala, 
Right. And, and, and it's a very important gala yeah. for me because I was the president many years ago. I know. And I believe in the cause. Yeah. yeah. As we do a lot of charity for Houston, right. uh, free clinics, education, scholarships, etc. So whenever... Uh, the president called me and said, hey, I need you to be there. Yeah. Uh, I said, hey, I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> if, so, <laughs> if, if she is free, can you invite her? Absolutely. She can come. If, she, if Amanda is free, we can take her there. If she's available and of free, course. and I will take her there and introduce her to several people the out there. Thing. The whole thing. Pro- here's the problem, yes, though. Right. The pro- here's the problem. And I, I know the timing is crazy. Right. The, the social hour where you would get to meet a lot of people right. is between 5.30 and 6.30. Hence, I've got all my clothes in the car. Right. <laughs> I'm going to change quickly <laughs> and be there by 6.15 and just kind of meet a few people out there and then go and sit down. Our keynote speaker is doc- none other than Dr. Hood. Uh, Hotez, D- Dr. Hotez, Hotez right. who is an right. amazing Houstonian, and wow. he's going to give it's us likely a likely to get even a, a, a Nobel Prize Prize. I well, mean, you know, not Peace Prize, but uh, yes, some some prize. Yes, Hopefully, prize he has been nominated day. by he has. lots of people. Yeah, so it's going to be an honor sitting on the same table as he is. So I'm looking forward to it. But I'm going to let you introduce our lovely well, guest out here today. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, she's charming, no question about it. But uh, none other than. Amanda Edwards. Yes. And sh- she's she's not new to Houston. She's not. So why don't we just give her the microphone and well, let her introduce I, why didn't I give herself? Her, why, didn't I, why didn't I blow her trumpet a little yeah, bit yes. and then we let her blow on, <laughs> yeah. her own trumpet? Well, first of all, welcome to uh, Open Forum, uh, Miss Edwards. And we're going to just call you Amanda if it's okay. Totally fine. And, and you can call us Jagat and Subodh if, if that's okay. <laughs> Amanda is a Houstonian. You know, when you have a Houstonian... And you want to have a, a mayor in Houston. Right. You get a Houstonian. Absolutely. You, you elect or right. select a Houstonian. So she's a native Houstonian. And um, after going to high school here, you went to Emory, I think that was. And that's yes. where you got your... Uh, it's a beautiful campus. It is. It uh, is. It, and it is on a rolling hill. It is. And, and of course, then she was... Uh, she You did work in... Was it Georgia with one of the senators? Yes. And then you were with Sheila Jackson Lee for a little while. In Washington. And that's when you said, hey, I want to become a lawyer. Right? Well, is well, that... Became, or were you already a lawyer before that? No, no. I had uh, not You blow your trumpet law. then. <laughs> I had not gone to law school yet. Well, first, let me just say thank you, you for bet. having me on. And now, thank you for inviting me to this wonderful yes. event that's coming up. Come so on thank over. you for that. And I'm just so proud to be here as, as we are now embarking upon uh, the race to determine who is going to serve as the next mayor of the city of Houston. And I'm a native Houstonian, as you stated. I grew up on the north side of town. Um, lived in Inwood Forest and went to Eisenhower High School. Did you really? Inwood I, Forest? I did. Wow. I okay. did. I did. And right so, on Antoine. Did. There you go. Yeah. You know the neighborhood. I know the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in Inwood Forest and went to Eisenhower High School and then after graduating got a chance to move to Atlanta. I went to Emory, as you stated, beautiful campus, lots of great experiences there and uh, was president of my college then and then uh, worked for Congress. Congresswoman Jackson Lee in Washington. Mm-hmm. So in between college and law school, that's when I worked for a congresswoman. So I got a lot of great experience in Washington, running around the hill all over the place and eventually no, then right. went Literally over. running there. <laughs> 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 that 
that's right. That's right. But I, I eventually got on to law school where I went to Harvard. And it was when I was in Harvard, at Harvard, I worked for then Professor Elizabeth Warren, who would later become Senator Elizabeth mm-hmm. Warren. But back then, she was Professor Warren to us. Right. Wow. Um, I worked for her and many others um, that ended up really uh, blazing some really incredible pathways and trails. And I knew that those experiences that I was having there wasn't just for me right. to kind of have in a vacuum, but rather for me to be a vessel of change. And so when Hurricane Katrina happened, I watched it on TV, probably like all of you. Right. But I decided to move down to New Orleans. So after I graduated, I moved down to New Orleans. I clerked in federal court, and then I started a program teaching kids how to use writing as a tool of empowerment. Um, It was a really rewarding experience, but I decided... Ultimately, you don't have to have a physical storm for there to be need for you to address in the community. So I decided to come back home to Houston. I started practicing law as what's called a municipal finance lawyer. So most of the time people look at me with a blank stare and say, what is that? And uh, That's when you work so, for the city? or No, no, before. No, before. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a private entity, but yeah, you all private work practice. Yes, I was working at uh, Vincent and Elkins and then at Bracewell, some big firms in town, mm-hmm. uh, doing bond issuance looking at how do we create and facilitate public projects like schools, hospitals, you know, parks, infrastructure, you name it. We were right. part of those deals of building community. And so I did that work for about seven years before running for office for the first time. Right. Uh, when I ran, I ran for an at-large seat, so not a district seat, but at-large and really did it in in order to really focus on solutions for mm-hmm. for communities of a variety of sorts. And so um, we hadn't run before, and I remember some of the critique was, you haven't paid enough political dues. And, um, you know, what I thought I had been doing was people dues. You know, I was serving on nonprofit boards, just doing a lot of work in the community. So when it came down to actually running a race, we just made it about the people and the work that we had been doing and the work that we could do together. And so much so, we ended up winning with more votes and than anybody else running for office at that time. Even more than the mayor, yeah. yeah don't more than him. the mayor. Yeah. <laughs> don't tell him I said that. <laughs> no, no. He, he listens think, to us only once a year. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, not today. Only when he comes on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is amazing. Were you? Let me ask you, were you then the youngest uh, Houston councilwoman ever elected? I don't know if I was or not. I think so. Because you will be the youngest mayor, I think, when I, when elected. I think you're right. Yeah. I think it will be. And it, and it will be, I'll be the first woman of color elected. Um, so that hasn't been done before either. So, yeah, we've got a lot of firsts that we, we embark upon. But I think people are excited about my candidacy for mayor because I bring a fresh perspective on in a, a solutions-based approach to the table. But at the same time, I also bring some significant experience. I'll be the only one in this field that actually has ever run and won and served right. citywide. So, and between you did run for the Senate also that's, that's in, in 2020, was 2020, and uh, there was a huge uh, crowd, a crowd of <laughs> candidates. That was the, the same Democratic year. side, yeah, right. Yeah. It was a little congested in that in that arena. So it was the same time when we had what was it, twenty three yeah. presidential candidates. What so do you think? Was that a big jump from being a city councilwoman to going? You know, Senate is huge. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. 
Texas is huge. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, Texas is that, huge. That, and that position, it, is, yeah, it's a it's a big it's a big state. It's a tough state right. to run statewide, without mm-hmm. question. I think we we grew from that experience, learned a lot. Um, namely, one of the things we learned was to give yourself enough runway. So mm-hmm. here we are, having been in the race since now March of 2022, giving right. ourselves the runway that we need, and it's proving to be successful for us. Right. So that's what we're doing here and now. And but, when I was a council member, one of the things I'm really proud to have gotten a chance to work on too was how do we create opportunity in our city and so one of the things that I did was start and lead the task force for the city's tech and innovation task force mm-hmm. so we looked at what was happening all over the country because in Houston we couldn't keep startups here people would have an idea or invention and yeah. they'd have to go to California or they'd have to go to Boston so we came up with strategies and solutions about what could be done and ended up pushing those forward and one of those you might know uh, was creating an innovation district in our city so right. have you seen that old Sears building yes um, that's right. now been created uh, right, right on me there you go yeah. that's been now my main in 59 yeah there you go so now it's the ion that's been created that's a pro- product of our recommendations and strategy so right. so general question sure. why is it that most of the elected politicians are lawyers is there a reason i mean you go to law school to practice law mm-hmm. but i see a lot of you know you go to washington you see them there Ninety um, percent of, of them yeah, probably. So, on so there must be a reason. Does a, a law student go that go into a law school with that mind that one day I'm going to be a politician, or is the other way around? The politicians say, "Well, you know what? I was a lawyer. Now I can be a, a, a lawmaker for that." For that, you know. Yeah, I mean, the central theme here is that you pass policy and law, and what you have an understanding when you go to law school that there's flexibility in that career path. So you can go to law school, you can be a lawyer, you can practice law forever as long you want. Mm-hmm. And you can choose to practice different types of law. You can choose to pursue public service. You could choose to go into business. I mean, people, you know, in law tend to often do other things eventually. Um, Not everybody, but a number of them. And I think, you know, it's just a very flexible space. I think also the benefit where you don't have to practice law in order Mm -hmm. to be a good public servant. But one of the things that has been a good, you know, at least in my case, practicing the type of law that I did, which was municipal finance, it doesn't get any better than that Mm -hmm. in terms of direct skills that would be applicable to the mayor's role. So in my case, it very much helped me. I understood the city's finances in a different kind of way, and I will be able to solve some of the really complicated challenges that we face coming right. in, in this well, next you, administration. You, you can know, say absolutely. that again, complicated challenges in Houston, right. as you know. You know Jack- but particularly, you know, lawyers have an advantage over engineers mm-hmm. when it comes to politics, because if you look at any law mm-hmm. or any bill that they pass, whether it's the city or county, state, or federal government, it's such an arcane language that they use that you and I would be difficult, even though, you know, we know what English is, but it would be very difficult to understand the language of that particular bill. And mm-hmm. that is one of the reasons that why all congressmen or all representatives are given only a one-page summary mm-hmm. of a 400-page bill. Right. A one-page summary, and that is what they decide on it. This is what we are going to vote. And I don't, I don't exactly. necessarily agree with that. I understand what you're saying. I, I don't agree with that. I mean, you know, if... Uh, you, you, why do I have to read such a big medical science book and then take a big exam? Have you got to read what you're going to be reproducing in life later well, I, on, you I, know? So one, I don't agree with that, but I yeah. understand what you're saying. Yeah, but what happens yeah. is that it's, it's not 
not the congresswoman or a congressman reads it the know, staff, the staff reads, reads it, it. The, yeah. yeah and then they give the synopsis of the bill yeah and at the same and it's time not the, apples it, to oranges yeah. i don't let my assistant read how to take out an appendix and then say well you know what you tell thank you for how to do it i'll go do it now so i, I, you know, it's I, I not, totally agree yeah. I, 100% i think if there's a bill of 400 that read you know, it because there's something out there that's yeah, going to help how everybody how smart that you are senator or a per, per congresswoman yeah, or yeah, yeah. congressman Yeah, I no, think it's just give, so difficult. I, I mean, uh, just to just to summarize that and then move on. Yeah. I think we should give enough time uh, to our lawmakers to read through what they're going to thrust upon the public out there. And I, uh, that's what my belief is. And I bet m- some of our listeners would understand that and believe that. But going But I, back to I will Houston, say this, just so yes, that you ma'am. know, and you will know, my own routine is that I was known for actually reading every single contract that came I love across. It. Wow, I love it. we so love that it. That was something awesome. that I wanted to do because. I had the skills to do that and understood that oftentimes the devil is in fact in the details. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so you really have to have an understanding that's not just a top line of what you're passing. A lot of policy gets put into contracts. Right. And so if you really read the contract you say, "Well, wait a minute. Why are we agreeing to this?" or "This isn't a very good deal for the city." or right. um these policies this this sounds like policy decisions that are incorporated into these contracts with the residents or what have you that we shouldn't have and so there've been many a time many many times where i've pushed back on items that were presented for to uh, in front of my desk as a council member at large which i had to push back on because i read the contracts mm-hmm. and i read the documents so right. it's important i think to really understand that with policies sometimes the the top lines are just not going to get you there in terms of really understanding what Absolutely, you're doing. Absolutely, very true. Folks you're listening so, to Open Forum on 103.5 FM in Houston, hum fmradio.com. We have the pleasure of uh, having Miss Amanda Edwards um who's a candidate for um Houston mayor in 2023. The election is going to be in November the 7th and we you know this is a good start for us Absolutely. in January. Usually our political fever or election fever starts <laughs> about 3 or 4 months before the election but no. i love this for you it is as a candidate yeah. uh, it, it's awesome that you 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 were able to come so early and talk about uh, yourself so let's look at all your accolades during your uh, 4 year stint as a count what are the two or three things that you're really proud of as a representative of the city that you 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 actually you were at large yes. so you did represent everybody tell us what do you think over the feathers in your in your cap out there. Absolutely. So I shared one example of that which was to really start the city's an innovation task force and okay. really get some of those projects and efforts off the ground. We were ranked when I started that work at like number 42 in the nation wow. Wow. in terms of just that venture capital being made available to startups, which is absolutely ridiculous, right? Because we're the fourth largest city in the country. Houston can do anything it puts its mind to, but it's got to have sometimes a strategy around it and a plan, and so that's what we put into place. And so you need leadership that not only has a strong and bold vision or a vision for the future, but also someone who can be a convener of stakeholders that can help you execute on that vision and so we were very fortunate in the example that I'm mentioning where Rice said hey 
What about, you talked about an innovation district. What do you think about this old Sears building? We we own this. What do you think about that? And, of course, the rest is history, mm-hmm. including the fact that they um, financed that project. And so the city did not, you know, wasn't out of pocket in terms of getting that project done. And, and so that's the type of public-private partnerships that we need to be looking to embark upon so that we can advance Houston's positioning for the future. Um, we often talk about how because we're so diverse, we're America's future in terms of the demographics that are here. But we also have to position ourselves to compete for the future. Right. And that includes future of work. Um, also, I would say one of the things I was really proud to work on as well involved uh, the issue around diversity in that we were looking at women and minority owned small business ownership. And we knew that we had a lot of it. But when we looked at the statistics on where the wealth was actually going and access to capital, ability to scale the businesses, those sorts of things, there were huge disparities. So I started a task force um, to address that. And now we have a small business alliance that are, works on executing some of the strategies and solutions to help improve the personal networks that people have access to or to reduce some of the barriers that they face. And there's some policy solutions that I'll be really excited about um, being able to implement as the next mayor of the city. I'll say last, you know, <clears throat> finances have been such a critical part of my career, having been a municipal finance lawyer for seven years prior to even getting into public service. It was really important to me to make sure that our finances were in order. I think the mayor did a tremendous job in leading the Houston Pension Solution, which was a huge issue. Um, in very, it's still an issue, though. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But he did a But tremendous in your mind, you think it's resolved? It's well, I think it was a great, first, a great first step because it's such a tricky political issue. It is. Yeah. That navigating through that and taking such a meaningful bite out of the the <clears throat> the issue, I think, was tremendous. And yeah. I, I I was involved in that process and so really proud to have done that as well, um, in addition to Harvey recovery efforts that I did for seniors. Well, we're going to talk so, about transportation. I mean, that's yes, one of the pieces. Absolutely. But I'm going absolutely. to take a caller out here. Yes. Uh, yeah. Folks, our uh, number out here is one. 888-749-1035. Jagat every time looks at me when I say that number. It's a tongue twister. 1-888-749-1035. Let's take this gentleman out here. Uh, Daniel, how are you doing today on Open Forum? Well, look at you. <laughs> like that. You're a true historian, aren't you? Tell us uh, what's on your mind. We have uh, Miss Amanda Edwards. She's an uh, ex-councilwoman. I got a question to her. Okay. Based on the Chronicle report, Senator John Whitmer has got a $10 million in his hand. She has got only $1.4 million, uh, according to this uh, Chronicle report. Mm-hmm. How she is going to overcome this big, big, big deficit? Wow. wow. Okay. That's a good Hold question. On, okay. Campaign finance. Campaign finance. I know. Campaign. I know the answer, but I think I'm going to let Amanda uh, talk about it. <laughs> Daniel, there is a good answer to it. Yes, absolutely. So thank you for the question. Um, as you may be aware, and for those that have not been made aware, um, there's been a lot of money coming into this race already. And so we are really proud that we've been able to raise quite a bit of money. In fact, we have over a million dollars of cash on hand, which is very high given the fact that this was at the end of 2022. Now, what we do know, if you look back, even on the last mayor's race, money is not dispositive of votes. Okay. So we saw 
Tony Busby had $10 million. He expended quite a bit of money. We, I mean, I can go down a list of where there's been an asymmetry of resources with the candidate with the most resources not winning the election because they didn't have the political base. So when you're looking at elections, money, Absolutely. you have to think of money as a as a, a tool. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a tool to amplify your messaging. It's a tool to hire staff. It's a tool to access voters. But the voters still have to want to vote for you. And what we know about my candidacy is because I've run and won citywide before, we have a base of voters all over the city that are very eager to vote for us. So we have to run our race with the amount of money that we've budgeted that will allow us to reach those voters. And if we do that, it doesn't matter if my opponent has a little bit more money or a lot more money, as long as we run the race that will is designed to get us to the victory. So we'll be in good position. Well, you got, got a strong basis yeah. of support. Also, yeah. uh, Daniel, you got to remember, she got the most votes in her election last time, uh, even more than the mayor had received as she ran at last. So the name recognition is already yes. there. Yes. Right. Her, work is, right. her work is in black and white. You can see it in print. She's Absolutely. done work out there. Right. On the ground, she's got a lot yeah. of staff that's going to be working yeah. for her. Yes, money does play, yeah. but in, in other uh, you know areas, but, it can neutralize it. Well, it as a matter of fact, about yeah. uh, uh, 2015, uh, the city council, when she was there, actually they passed an ordinance that, uh, uh, that you can only transfer $10,000 from your other campaign money. Mm-hmm. So that means he is he's sitting on a $10 million right now, but he cannot transfer all $10 million. He can run as, per the, as per the city law, mm-hmm. it's only $10,000 limit. Okay. But he has gone to the court at this time. Right. And probably chances are that probably he would win the case and he would be able to transfer money, but not all $10 million. Okay. So I think, uh, Daniel, did you get that answer? Yes. One more question. Yeah. Go ahead. One more question. Uh, who is, uh, are you sure you're going to get the endorsement from Mr. Turner? Mr. Turner? That is the, that <laughs> is the question. That's the million dollar question. <laughs> That's the million dollar question that comes up over and over again. Listen, you know, one of the things I will say, I had the opportunity to work very uh, hands-on and alongside Mayor Turner during his tenure as mayor. And there is a tremendous amount of respect and overlap that we have in terms of interests and in impacting the community. Um, mayor Turner has not made a firm determination as to his role and what he will be doing in this race. Um, we certainly would love to have his support, um, but it is very, very early for that. And so I don't think you should expect if Mayor Turner gets into the race and supports my candidacy or any others, it will be anytime soon. So I can tell you that. Uh, just and that's t- typical, right? Like most of the time, yeah. people right now it's been it's very early. People want to see what you're made of. People want to see what you're talking yeah. about. And so, mm-hmm. if you commit to someone oh, super oh, yeah. early, and then you yeah. have buyer's remorse because they mm-hmm. get out on the campaign trail and it's a disaster, right. they might that that's that's getting in a little prematurely. Exactly. So and, that's not and, typical, right? Daniel, the other thing is that the sitting mayor, the present mayor, is not going to endorse any candidate at this. Point, yeah. It's a it's a political wisdom, you know, that if he if he really endorses a candidate, even three months before the election, I think it's a suicide for him. So I, I think he's going to keep his mouth shut for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, internally, I think I'm sure that probably Amanda is talking to him, but that's never going to be a public discussion about it. 
Thank you, Daniel. Um, I keep listening to Open Forum. Okay, Our number is one eight eight. Thank you, sir. And we're going to be talking a little bit more politics after five o'clock. We should call him also. Daniel with the tough questions. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He, sometimes I call him my nemesis out here, but he doesn't know that. I hope he's not listening anymore. <laughs> but um, you know, going back to again your city council days, were they, and then of course, as you ran uh, for the senate, uh, the primary race, you had to give up that seat. Is that how it works? So yeah, great question. So there is something called resign to run rules, <clears throat> okay. and so if you are in the state legislature, they don't apply to you. Right, but, but they made the rules. You know that. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They I made know. the rule, but not for us. Yeah. No, not for, for them. For yeah. Yeah. So, so that being said, you cannot, uh, unless you are in your last year of your term, in mm. the case of city council, if you were in your last year of term, you don't actually have to resign if you run for another seat, but you could not run for your, both seats at the same time. And gotcha. so in our case, I didn't have to resign. I mm-hmm. served the duration of my term um, in full. I just didn't run for re-election. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Well, that's, that is yeah. amazing. As Again, Jagat, if, if I may, yeah, I'm, I'm on a roll out here. I, I need, <laughs> need to ask one another question. You want to become the mayor of Houston. That's right. Uh, but, of course, you did one term, or was it two terms? At city I was council? there four years. Four years. That's mm-hmm. it, one term? The, yes, it switched. Term. So, you know, it used yeah. to be... You used to have three yeah. two-year terms. Right. Now you have two four-year four four terms. Right. Yes. Right. So at the end of the term, did you have any things that you said, darn, I want to do two, do two more things, but I had to resign because I ran for this. And uh, can you name two things then? As a mayor, you would pick up and say, okay, I'm going to pick this up where I left, and these are the two projects I really, really want to put my priorities on. Well, the good thing was is that we were very adamant about, and, and you got to understand, I'm coming in from the private sector, mm-hmm. right? So in the world that I came from, I was working on deals, tax exempt bond issuances, getting those wrapped up in 90 days and, mm-hmm. you know, very concrete timetables. And so I took that approach to delivering results with me to the city. So mm-hmm. a lot of what we were able to do was in a very short or compact period of time because I took a, a sense of urgency with me to get things resolved, get them finished. You know, don't just give a speech unless mm-hmm. this is getting wrapped up. And that was, a, you know, I was always talking about deliverables. In my office, we talked in 90-day cycles and mm-hmm. when are we going to move this? Where are the milestones here? And so we just took a very different approach and so we didn't have a lot of things on the list of things we were supposed to have done that didn't get done now there are many things i want to do as the next mayor i think the one key piece that isn't necessarily what i want to do or more or less than what i have to do which is that we have to fix the finances at the city of houston absolutely when you talk about crime when you talk about infrastructure when you talk about issues around anything really we all come back to the finances. You see, the city's finances are in deep peril, and it's not being talked about right now quite as much as it will be, but the next administration is going to be facing a severe deficit. So the city engages in some significant deficit spending. Um, while I was there, it was somewhere in the ballpark of about 120 to 160 mil- million, and they'd have to close the gap every year by making cuts. Mm-hmm. So now that my understanding is that it's grown, it's somewhere closer to $200 million. When you add on top of that the fact that pay raises have gone out to police, 
police mm-hmm. officers, firefighters, mm-hmm. and municipal workers using what's called ARPA funds, mm-hmm. which are temporary federal funds. Those funds are going to run out when the new administration comes into place. So you're looking at a hole somewhere yeah. in the ballpark of $350 million that you're going to have to address pretty quickly. And I know one thing is for sure, it's very tempting to see these large numbers and press a panic button. That's the last thing we need the leader of the city to do. You need somebody who has the experience, who's not going to crack under that pressure, who knows how to navigate sig- significant and, and and complicated financial challenges and gets to some results. Now, there are many things we're going to have to do in order to address our immediate concerns and our longer term certain mm-hmm. concerns. And so we have and we have strategies Long term, mid term, and short term in addressing that. So these kinds of challenges are raising the tax. One of the strategies. So no, No, because I don't think so. The tax is going to be. Yeah, let me share something with you that most of probably your listeners don't know because they just wouldn't have a reason to know this. But in Houston, we have something called revenue cap. Okay. Um, And that is something that was imposed by the voters many years ago that said, "Hey." If your spending gets to a certain level, mm-hmm. we are going to curtail your ability to bring in the property tax revenue that you otherwise would be legally permitted to take. We're going to say no. And so what that meant was back in 2014, which is under the Parker administration, right. we had gotten to that threshold. And so since that time, every single year, city council has to vote <clears throat> and lower your tax rate, believe it or not. And... That is because the revenue cap requires us to do so. And so as a result, if you take that property tax rate from 2014, and if let's say you would have just left it flat, left it alone, didn't touch it, city of Houston would have had an additional $1.5 billion. So when you think about, and I get these questions all the time, what are you going to do about crime? What are you going to do about police? Mm -hmm. Hold on. There's a severe financial reason as to why we don't have enough police officers. Did you know that, that we have fewer police officers today than what we had 20 years ago? And it's not because we have fewer people. It's not because we have less crime. And it's not because we have less need. It's financial. A major driver of that is our city's financial status not being in good shape. So until we get to the root cause of a lot of our issues mm-hmm. and the potholes you drive over and all those things are symptomatic of a major financial challenge that we face in our city. See, until what, we get yeah. to that root, we're going to be giving the same speeches over and over yes. and over and, again. And, and, and I'm the candidate. Tired of listening yeah. to those speeches. And I'm the candidate in this race that will be able to convert that into reality. But the, 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 the potholes, uh, potholes and all these things, they're optics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it looks bad, right? It, it, doesn't, require, I mean, it re- doesn't require a lot of financing and other things. But the critical issues, as the city mayor, that she's going to face is the police, police uh, p- p- hiring. Right. Not only police hiring, uh, there is a huge problem between the retirement of the police as well as the firefighters. Uh, that somehow they're at the loggerhead with the mayor. Mm-hmm. So she will have to face that also. The finances, which is the main thing that she'll have to face, is along with the metro and along with the crime. If you do not increase the number of police on the street, the crime automatically is not going to go away. Mm-hmm. And that is her challenge is going to be. So 
Can you face one by one? Can you talk about it? Some of the challenges that you would be facing when yeah. you become a mayor and how best that you would be. You're talking about general finances of a city. But when you really break it down to the various uh, topics and various issues, then it is extremely difficult to really resolve the issue of finances. Yeah, well, so great questions. And of course, this is all it's stuff that I <clears throat> am I'm really interested in and committed to addressing. You mentioned the issue around police. You talked about firefighters, municipal workers, as I mentioned to you. You've got pay raises that have been uh, provided using temporary federal funds that are going away. So that's one issue. Put that on one bucket. Then you mentioned the pension system, which, of course, we had the Houston Pension Solution. For those that are not familiar with that, of course, years ago, uh, when Turner first took office, that was one of the first items he addressed in trying to reduce that. We restructured the debt. We fixed it out. Issue, bond, uh, issue bonds fixed it out. Lower interest rate. Fully f- fund to fully fund the systems and in doing so that kind of was catalytic to more of a dispute on pay that people were receiving so while police and municipal workers finally got um, a more healthy pension systems because their systems were heading towards insolvency um, but what it ended up happening in the negotiations with fire kind of went in a different direction on the pay issue so now we've got multiple lawsuits pending right now that could result in potentially hundreds of millions of dollars and what the city could have as liability that it owes. And so as a result, that's a significant issue. We suspect that the Supreme Court, it's in the Texas Supreme Court now, we suspect the ruling will come out uh, sometime this spring and um, we'll have some clarity on the enormity of the issue. Cause right now I can tell you if it's, as you know, if it goes as far as it's possible for it to go, it could be hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. We just don't know what the courts will say. So that is going to be something that very likely has a huge impact in the next administration. We just don't know yet like what that dollar size is, and but it could be pretty huge. And so that's another issue. I think finally, in terms of just being understaffed in general, I'll use the example of the city of Chicago. Um, Houston is almost three times the physical landmass as the city of Chicago is, but we actually have fewer people right. in the city of Chicago to pay for all that landmass. And we have half of the police force than the city of Chicago to police three times the area. Mm-hmm. So you just do the math for a second. <clears throat> something is a, something is awry, right? And so we've got to get those numbers up. We've got to have what I call community policing. Um, what is that? That means you've got to have a presence in the community before you have an emergency call. And that is going to be imperative in doing two things. One, it's helpful in building trust in those neighborhoods. So instead of every time you see a police officer, they're think, accusing you of something. You see a police officer, you get to know them. They know you. They know the difference between somebody who's come there to do harm and someone who's there um, who who isn't there to do harm? Number two, that helps with when you when that's happening. When you have that trust and a, a positive relationship, people give you more tips. So you it it helps you to be better at your job in policing. The other part I will say about community policing too is is the prevention elements, right? right. And so you have that presence in the communities. People say, eh, I better not steal that catalytic converter mm-hmm. uh, because somebody's watching and right. somebody's right, right down the street. Yeah. 
But you know, you're talking about policing, community policing. Yes. Which was introduced in yeah. 19, late 1990s. Yeah, I mean, that was, and, a, that was uh, you know, Leap Brown chief. By Leap Brown, he was a police chief, right? That's right. You're talking about 25 to 30 years ago. Yeah. But you, we're still talking about community policing as if that community policing is not happening. That's It's money. You can't do po- community policing unless you have enough police. And that's where we get back to it. Other, it's a great idea. But until you deal with the city's finances, all of these are just great ideas until you can pay for them. Your biggest policy statement, hear me out, is your budget. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Your biggest policy statement is your budget. Don't listen to the speeches. Watch where they put the money. And if you are not putting the money in the spaces that you're talking about, then that's not really your policy. Your policy is what you fund. So as a mayor... How are you going to resolve the budget issue for that matter? Where do you go going to get that money from? And, and this should be the last question on budget. There's a lot of right. other questions that we want. Because, you know, I'm, I, 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 want to, I want to speak for my listeners out there. Yeah. The simple stuff that they understand. Budget can be a little bit Dense. complex. Yeah. And then, you know, they're like, okay, what about the transportation? That yeah. we, yes, yes. Hey, what about the people who are coming? How do we attract more businesses yes. into Houston? Uh, those Californians who are leaving, how do we bring them here? Yes. Oh, oh, things like that. Are we going to be tough on crime? Are we going to be like DC that says if you do a uh, you know you do a hijack your car and the penalties will be much less than they were before? Are we going to turn into one of those cities? Are we going to be tough a tough city to uh, uh, you know as far as crime is concerned, but a very friendly city as far as business, business is concerned, concerned. and and a great city to bring entertainment, uh, you know, our, our athletics. Are, are the Rockets and the Texans. I mean, we have got so much potential. Are we tapping all the potential? Those are the questions that my our listeners really would love to know. Absolutely. So, yes, I want to say this. A lot of what we talk about in Houston is about <clears throat> creating a city where everybody has an opportunity, not just to live here, but to thrive here. And right. what does that mean? How could we undergo a renaissance? We're coming out of a pandemic. We should be exploring new ideas, being bold, being innovative. Part of why I wanted to do the tech and innovation work was to find growth industries that could allow Houston to compete. I want Houston to become America's future. I'm going to repeat that. I want Houston to be known as America's future. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean just demographically we're the most diverse in the nation. That means we're a city where we've solved the challenges that diverse communities face. Mm -hmm. And also that it dreams boldly. This is really about reconnecting to our roots. If you just think about it for just a second, we went from being a city that wasn't even on the coast, wasn't even supposed to be a coastal city. Mm-hmm. And we dredged a port 50 miles inland, and now we're home to the busiest port in the nation. Right. That's a city of ingenuity. We are the city, the world's large, the medical, we have the world's largest medical center. And the best. And, and the, the best. best. We are the leader in medicine. We are the energy capital of the world, both past, present, and I think should be future mm-hmm. as well. We have NASA. We have so much at our disposal. How do we harness that in a way that still allows us to to seek and be hungry for more? And I think we've got to think about positioning ourselves for the future of work. And what does that mean? And are we positioned to compete? And part of being positioned to to compete, we have to figure out what makes people want to be in a place. So if they think... We haven't tackled our infrastructure challenges such that they may have to get rescued by boat. They're going to pick a Dallas over a Houston. Right. 
they're going to pick an Atlanta over Houston. I don't want anybody picking any other place but Houston. But so Houston, how do we yeah. do that? We've right. got to tackle some of the problems. One of them that we know is infrastructure. So we've got to make the critical infrastructure investments to keep people safe, to make sure that people aren't floating away anywhere. And so that's critical. Number two, we've got to make sure we can move people around when they come. Did you know that in the next 20 years, there's been modeling that shows that Houston is anticipated, excuse me, the Houston Galveston area, eight county region is expected to add 4.2 million people to our region. I didn't That's know a that. lot of people. Repeat that again. Those so in the next 20 years, yeah. it, it is anticipated through the modeling that the Houston Galveston area, if you count the oh, eight wow. county area, yeah. is supposed to add 4.2 million people to our region. So that means today we need to be making different kinds of investments so that we are not Los Angeles tomorrow. Right. But we are it's tempting in politics not to address things that have that kind of long term horizon because there is no ribbon cutting on, uh, you know, for that project if you're doing it. So So we've got to prioritize being prepared to win the future. Right. We've got. Miss Amanda, uh, yes. I live in Sugarland. Yes, we want you coming back inside the city. <laughs> well, You're I, on my come on yeah, back tour. Well, my business is right there. <laughs> come on back tour. Yeah. Well, I live in Sugarland, and, and here's the question: yeah. I dread getting into the city in the morning because I dread staying. Going you know, you can just stay, behind. but you know, and you I, can just I, stay I dread, in the city. Yeah, I just stay. <laughs> I dread driving back at peak hours. Yeah, and I, I, I grew up. I, I was born in a city called Bombay. Mm-hmm. Bombay has 16.7 million people. Wow. Maybe it's more now. 20 million. Let's take a you know ballpark figure. 20 million people. Yeah. But yet the transportation is cool because there are trains that go from place A to place B, and they are clockwork train. I mean, 2:01 p.m. the train will be there. It will take you by 2:15 to the destination that you're aiming for, and back and forth. Why? In such a big city as ours, New York has it, and there are other cities that have underground rail or mm-hmm. over, oh, you know, overground rails. Why do? Why are we stuck with the light rail out there? Why can't we get all these cities—Missouri City, Sugarland, Woodlands, Clear Lake, others—that are sitting right there, where people should be coming into the city? I would love to come and spend my dollars and give it to Harris County and city of uh, Houston because there's so much to offer but I don't want to drive there I don't want to I would love to take a train and come there I love why are we not doing that um, this is exactly what I think we have to make the conversation about it's about being bold and innovative what we've done in the past has had the same arguments and we've had the same discussions but our politics have changed yeah People didn't used to say what you just said. People would be like, oh, no, that's waste. It's public, you know, public dollars towards anything that has anything to do with high capacity transit is waste. And I changed the narrative. I think it is um, not being prepared for the future if we don't invest Mm -hmm. in the infrastructure needed in order to win the future. And right now we are not investing. We are not preparing ourselves for (coughs) new people to come and we're not preparing ourselves to be a, a high quality, have a high quality of life. We want our residents to sit in traffic. We did an analysis. I used to serve on the Transportation Policy Council for our eight county region mm-hmm. that um, deals with all of these infrastructure dollars. And when I was serving on that, we knew the 4.2 million was coming into the region. And but there's all of this conversation around waste. 
I think that this is a, you do a cost benefit analysis. What is the cost of me sitting in traffic? What is the cost to my business by me not being able to access um, a workplace in a more efficient time frame? It costs us money not to be smart about transportation. Right. What about the air? You know, every time the cars are sitting idle, yeah. on, on, and, on, so and it we costs talk us about money. Air and it's not it's not an environmentally sound right. decision. And so we've got several tiers to it, as you've highlighted. Yeah. So these are smart investments. Look at this. Look at the cities like Atlanta. Mm. Atlanta invested in MARTA, and they got the Olympics. You know, there are things that we may not be able to access at this moment, like the Olympics, right. until we show well, we've got the demonstra- soccer coming out. Right? Yeah, I know, <laughs> but we want some more. I want everything. Yeah, uh, so you're going to see yeah. that I am. Yeah. A- uh, do you, can I tell you the biggest, one of the biggest yeah. things that's going to happen to Texas and Houston is the cricket. <laughs> uh, have you ever watched a game of cricket? It's, it's, I it's, don't it's think cricket. so. <laughs> uh, we're going to take you to one of the games. Okay. We, Jagat and I went to Florida to watch cricket. Florida. <laughs> Uh, of all the places, where do we go? Um, not Orlando, it was. I was there right. recently. Anyway, the, the the entire country came down there to watch India play the West Indies in a cricket tournament. That was a world uh, stamped cricket tournament. Now we're going to have in the country. Cricket being played in at least ten cities. I don't know in Dallas or well, Dallas is the first one right now. It. Dallas going to Why get it. Why aren't we they getting it? We have three hundred thousand people who follow cricket in 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 Houston and Fort Bend County and Harris County, but we don't. We have small grounds here and there, but we don't have that international ground that we're all looking for, which will bring in so many dollars, yeah. so much tourism. People, you know, you know the subcontinent folks. Uh, one of the highest capita income in the country, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. number one. Absolutely, the and money I, is there to be spent. But where do you spend? We yeah. like cricket. Yeah. I I fly to Florida. <laughs> I fly to Trinidad. I right. I'm flying. I flew to London, and oh, this November serious. I'm you flying. You are serious about this? I'm very serious. Yeah. Really it serious. runs in my blood. I think. Okay. Well, I'm flying. I'm, <laughs> I'm flying to Bombay uh, in November to watch cr- actually, the World Cricket. Actually, he flew to London to watch cricket. I was there. Yeah. Wow. I told him to come. He wouldn't come, but I took <laughs> uh, him to Florida, yeah. <laughs> though. So what I'm saying is, I'm just one of them. There are so yeah. many people who there follow that game. Thousands and thousands of in, in Houston, and we have little minor I'm in leagues more than going on. Thousand, I would say. Yeah, wow. easily. So. And that's just one game. There yeah. are so many other games yeah. that we can bring in athletics. And, and I want to compete. Every time, every time that compete. Houston yeah, has compete. submitted yeah. its bid for an Olympics, it has never gone through, yeah. right? And simply because Houston is just not equipped to have it. Yeah, let's take I this. I think we can change that. Let's take this call. Okay, let's yeah. take let's a call. Let's take uh, Daniel one more time. He's listening to us intently. Yeah, always does. Yeah, he does. All right, Daniel, go get 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 along with the next question now. <laughs> Hello. Are you still there, sir? Mr. Daniel? All right. I think he... Daniel, a, give us a call back. a coffee break or something. He'll call back. Yeah, Is that he, tough to, a tough question, Daniel? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have your coffee and come back. Folks, you're listening to Open Forum 103.5 FM, humfmradio.com. We are indeed fortunate to have Miss Amanda Edwards uh, she's running for the mayor's position, Got the it. job. She wants a job. She wants to be the CEO of Houston. And, and from what I've heard, and I didn't know you until uh, right. Jagat actually introduced me, from what I'm listening, I'm really excited that you're in the fray. Thank and you. I really hope that you come back here as a mayor. So you give us, do you know, who was the mayor who came, came back to, um, um, was it? Uh, Bill White. No, 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 the young lady who was here. 
and then oh, she came back. Oh, oh Parker, 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 Parker. Miss Anise Parker, Parker. Yeah. 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 sat she right here. Right. Yeah, yeah. We, had a we had a different studio. It looked this way. She sat across, and I said, Miss Parker, you're going to be the mayor in two weeks. Are you going to give us the first interview? She said, yes, I will. Guess what? <laughs> she called us. She said, do you know I won? I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course we did. She was here the next Saturday, and she, she gave us one hour of her precious time. Miss Amanda, can I get that? promise from you <laughs> you got it you got Thank it you heard much. it here first you yes. betcha you betcha and so, uh so go ahead you were no, going to no, ask right. yeah so again going back being tough on crime what is your take on that i mean you know you you hear about cities getting getting softer and softer and that scares the citizens uh, t- tell us what's your line on that yeah i mean right now i think the the quality of life houstonians are looking for isn't what they're receiving right so right. You call the police. There's been an incident. Some maybe you know yeah. store broken just into. Just call her, please whatever. hold. I'm going to take you. Just hold. Let let Miss Amanda. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So you call the police. Um, someone says, "Well, is you know crime still in progress?" And you say, "No." And is anybody injured? And you say, "No." Then you you're going to be in a long wait. Right. Right. Um, before True. you get a case number. Mm-hmm. Before you really get. Any uh, assistance in addressing the matter, and the truth is, it's a shortage, and I think we've got to deal with that shortage. and And right now, Houstonians don't feel safe, and so yes, there has Absolutely. been a downtick in some of the crime that's happening in the city. But if your city doesn't feel safe, then you've got you've got to go further in in what you're doing, and we've got to prevent crime. We have got to be better at crime prevention, having a presence, and that presence then leading to having fewer robberies and and, and yeah. the things that are happening because there's nobody present. Well, but you know, at the same time, you know, when, when people here anywhere in California or anywhere that they want to move to uh, Texas or Houston, for, for that matter, if they think that the crime is really high, just like Chicago is, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, people won't come to this they city. Right. That's right. And that, that is, you know, it's a, there, there is a direct correlation between, you know, the crime and the people moving to the city. There's a correlation between people moving to the city relating to crime. I mean, it's common sense stuff, right? Crime, School. the cost of housing, your schools, and in our case, infrastructure issues, right? right? Because they're, they're scared. Let's so take, if they don't take, feel safe, yeah, they're yeah. not going to be here. Yeah, let's take yeah. this call. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, please. You're on open forum. Hello, this is my question to Edwards. Yes. The question is, the city has got a population. Uh, 44% are Hispanic in the city, in the Houston city and the county, Harris County. Why there is no candidate for a mayor as a mayor? I don't know why you're asking her that question, though. Um, I, I, it's a, it may be a general, general, you know, you mean question. Why, why there is no candidate from the Hispanic community? Right. Is that the question? I thought there was. We've had so many. Right? Yeah, we had so well, many. I think, had so I think many. the and thing to think about right now is that it, it's January of 2023, it's and the filing deadline is August of 2023. <laughs> so yeah. we are very, very early. The reason why... I'm here at such an early date is to make sure we're keeping the listeners informed yeah, about right. what's going on. Yeah. And the fact there is a mayor's race, it is early. The fact that we've raised the the funds that we've raised, this is not typical to have a race in full effect. I got in the race in March of 2022. That was extremely early. People, you know, they thought my election was November of 22 because typically you get in the year of the election. So mm-hmm. I do think there will be some changes in the in the um, 
list of candidates running for office. I don't know who all will enter, but I suspect we're not done with the list. Um, I think it'll probably grow similar to what happened eight years ago when it was the last time when we had an open seat and eight years ago, the last time we had an open seat, we ended up with double digits uh, worth of candidates in the race. Uh, Well, right now there are five official candidates as such. I think there are actually even more. There's a few more that are not as well known. I see. Okay. So I think they're like seven or so, something like that, but there'll be more. There'll be be more. more. It's just everybody has to appreciate how early it yeah. is relative to yeah. what is typical in this election right. cycle because everything just kind of got started really early. Right. And uh, Houston has 44%, Harris County has uh, 44% of Hispanic population. But those within the community, someone needs to decide that he or she wants to run uh, for the mayor of the city of Houston. I mean, I knew a few of them that who ran for the city uh, about 10, 15 years ago, and unfortunately they did not win the election. So mm-hmm. it's not that it's not that uh, they do not want to run, but they they need to think twice before jumping into a mayoral race. You know, it's just not easy. You know, I again, I when I look at candidates, I look at good candidates. I, I, I you know, yeah. I don't. I just don't divide the ethnicities. Oh, I agree. You know, yeah, and I think we should have. I do think we should have. You know, a diverse. Uh, cross-section of representation in terms of people who are part of a field. And I think if you know, like I said, keep in a context, yeah. I think it's early. I think the race is not, you know, the field is not set. And so there'll probably be a lot more entrants that are reflective of yeah. the full city of Houston. Right. And I think Absolutely. having and different candidates is, health, is very healthy. And although that saying, having said that, I think his question is pretty valid. I, I, it's more of an exclamation mark. Wow, why is the no instead right. of asking Amanda, I mean, she's got her own race to run, run. but it's 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 a good question. Hey, right. how come we don't have you know it's like an open question somewhere there there's an answer, right. Right. but hopefully someone yeah. will put their hat in the fray. I do have to take a little uh, public announcement at this point um, as you know we are we always partner with the indo American Chamber of Commerce of Greater Houston, and uh, they, they do a great job once a month we have one of their um, you know, uh, I guess the members, who, and we talk about a lot of commerce and businesses, etc. This time on um, February the 18th at 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. at India House, we're going to—they're going to be talking about. Uh, uh, I guess they have a tax seminar every year, and this year is going to be February the 18th, and the panelists are going to be Mahesh Desai, Rimple, Mashruwala. And my friend and my CPA, Kersha Kumbata. <laughs> and it's going to be moderated by Swapan Dhariwan. And the details can be obtained at IACCGH.com. And uh, I, I would imagine you have to register to be there. Absolutely. And otherwise right. they run out of, you know, they have about 400 seats and they run out very, very quickly. And I think uh, Jagdeep sent another do you see another uh, announcement? I couldn't open it out on my on, on my email. Uh, Jagat, if you find it, please read that out or send it to me, and I'll be happy to read out. Uh, we are um, in the studio, open forum. Our number is one eight 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 seven four nine one zero three five. What a pleasure it is to. 
talk to Amanda Edwards. If I lived in Harris County, you've convinced me. Well, that, you can still move. To, uh, you can still move into <laughs> Harris County. It is not. Oh, you know what? Let, 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 let me just buy another house. There. Yeah, let me be. Let me be very clear. I've got something called a Come On Back tour. Come on. Okay, I want to so hear about that. You can be a part of my Come On Back tour. His daughter lives in City of Houston. There we go. Tell us where she's moved to Fort Bend County. Oh, she did. Oh no. <laughs> she was in the Heights area. She said, "Yeah, Dad, I'm going to stay close to you." Oh, Boom. there she is. So now. you're the you're the key. I have the key. So if I've persuaded you today to come, then there. you will come but on talk back to us in about, time for the election. Talk to us about the tour. What What are you talking about? Yeah, come well, on back tour. Okay. Yeah, you. That's we great. really want people in our. What we have noticed is that while the city of Houston. The metro area continues to grow. Mm-hmm. What we're seeing where most of that growth is happening is truly actually in the suburbs. Right. And people are not moving into the city, the core of the city as much as they were. And in fact, are starting to move around the city. And what is important for us is that we resolve the challenges that people were facing in the mm-hmm. city. So in other words... We, people are moving because of the price of housing. People are moving because of crime. People mm-hmm. are moving because of issues around flooding. People are schools, moving because of schools. Right, maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think to that point, one of the things that I am going to be doing as the next uh, mayor of the city is making sure that although we know and what is typically the case is that mayors don't typically talk about education, not because they don't care. It's just because you don't have yeah, jurisdiction the, over right. it. Yeah, that's not in right, your purview. Right. But I think. We have to recognize that we the, the fate of the city of Houston is inextricably linked to the fate of what's happening in our schools. Absolutely. So to the extent... Are you talking about our, particularly Houston School District? Yeah, HIS, I'm, I'm a product of Aldine. Yeah. So, okay. and, you know, all the schools are, you know, making up people's minds as to, I mean, not exclusively that, but a lot of that, where you want to raise your family. Correct. Do I want to have to... So it's a quality of life issue. It's a quality issue. of mm-hmm. life issue. And what we want, we want to win those people back to Houston. We say, hey, right. hold on. I know you've got a nice house there. There's some nice houses here. And the price point is more affordable now. And we've got some new programs for new home buyers, for example. And, you know, just trying to compete yeah. for... For some more people and energy coming into the city, because ultimately we need them to come back to our city so we can improve the quality of life. More people in the city helps us to address some of the challenges that we face as well. So one of the things is I still live in New York and I still I I, I did my residency in Manhattan. Yes. But I lived in Long Island. I I used to commute back and forth. Right. But I like the city. That city was pretty vibrant, vibrant. Yeah, uh, and, and, and you know you I had friends who lived in the city I would go hang with them you can come down get a cup of coffee you can go down there get a pizza you can do everything, everything. how come in Houston we have not done that to our own downtown yeah. we have a yeah. lovely downtown yeah. because after why, six, is, it, I, I, why is it so desolate after 6.30 it's a desolate yeah, it, you know. I have some controversial things to say to you and so in addition to the controversial statements I already made about high capacity transit mm-hmm. in my um, sincerest belief that that's going to be a huge driver of change in our city. Here's another thing. We have got to promote walkable places in our city. Perfect. And right now, um, it's a challenge, right? So you asked me a question about downtown. Right. Do you know most of the businesses, storefronts, um, are located under the ground downtown. Most I, people don't even know about, about the tunnel. tunnel. Yeah. It's like a big giant right. mall under right. downtown. Yes. And so that kills your vibrancy at the streetscape level. Right. The other thing that's so commonplace when you think about the built environment in downtown is that much of what you see when you're walking on the sidewalks mm-hmm. are cars. 
why am I looking at cars? Why am I not looking at a dry cleaner or a restaurant mm-hmm. or the things that require you to engage with right. them right. instead of cars? I don't engage cars. Yeah. So, so is, we've got to right. start thinking differently about right. how we design our built environment. What do we want to promote? Do you want to promote suburban living in this pocket or is this supposed to be an urban space? Right. And we have to think differently because we've been a city that's prided itself on not having zoning, not mm-hmm. thinking about it from a planning perspective. I think that's a mistake. I think you can have suburban pockets of your city and I think you can have very urban centers mm-hmm. of your city and you think about what you build, what you incentivize differently. If I'm telling you I want walkable places in a place like, for instance, Midtown, I'll mm-hmm. use that example because it's a terms right. and all of these right. things. If I say that, then what am I doing to the parking requirements? What am I doing to the setbacks? What am I doing with yeah. respect to street lighting? Yeah. Do we have storefronts? Are we doing it? You know, what are we incentivizing yeah. in terms of behavior, policy, and then how people construct what they have? Let and me, if, the, yeah. if we have suburban a, policy driving what right. we you got to have a giant parking lot instead of putting the parking lot in the back and right. using the for, the front so as, as a, store as, as a mayor miss yeah. edwards right. as a mayor yeah would you put that in your bucket list oh Things absolutely do. let's get that houston i am very houston I'm very downtown looking like chicago downtown or or, or as far vibrancy as on the vibrancy streets, on the streets yes that's the vibrancy on the streets yes, yeah mike particularly up, uh, i was in dallas as a matter of fact just about a week back and there is a beautiful place, what they call that. It's a tunnel. It's a, basically a freeway going through. Mm-hmm. But on top of it, they've built a huge garden, mm. huge place. And it's full of people every single day. It's just unbelievable the amount of activity that the city has, mm-hmm. particularly in that one-mile stretch. Yeah. It's just mind-boggling. Similarly, if you look at New York City, the west side uh, p- p- elevated rail, yeah. uh, which was demolished, so instead of demolishing the, the entire structure, they converted it into a walking space. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you really ever get a chance to go to New York City, Manhattan, mm-hmm. on the west side, on Manhattan, and it's, it's, a, it's a couple of miles long, elevated. No cars? No cars, mm-hmm. elevated, period. Great. And people just walk. Well, well, you know, you know, and look at the Discovery Green part, portion of downtown. People walk to that. There's no tunnel to get to Discovery Green. You have to go walk, and people are walking to get to there to that area. Well, we need more green spaces Agreed. in downtown. One hundred percent agree well, with you. Again, New York attracts tourists, right. tourism well, from to, all over the world. All over the world, I agree. Houston, we are still way behind. Houston is a con- considerably a newer city. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we okay, so we have NASA way out there, right? But in downtown itself, you go to New York, you want to be in the town square. Uh, Correct. Town, town square, it's called, right? Correct, town square. Or you want to yeah. go down to Little Italy. Or you want to go to Chinatown right. and eat the food out there. Or you want to go, go I, for me, I want to go to all the Jewish eateries out there and have falafels right. and shawarmas and everything else that they make. So everyone has their own. Which but when I go to downtown, I'm like, where am I going to eat today? I don't exactly, really know. Because we do not really know. Yeah. And what you're talking about is a full experience, a quality exactly. of life shift yeah. where we really integrate. You think we can ever more, do that? Yes. We when can. I'm but like Only that. if you elect me as your mayor. <laughs> <laughs> Move to Houston. <laughs> come on back. So you asked me about the come on back tour. That's part of it. Well, <laughs> it's, uh, it's 5.13 now. And uh, there was another topic that I wanted to talk about, and um, I, I know it's it's not even, I don't want you to get um, jump into this topic because it is a little uh, controversial, but what I'd like to do yeah. is give you 
several minutes okay. to talk about your candidacy, yes. your vision right. for Houston, and how people come can come and elect you so that we have you as our next mayor. Absolutely. Well, first, let me say thank you for allowing me this platform. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I really enjoyed hearing your ideas, learn, listening to your concerns, and most importantly, being a part of figuring out solutions that works for all of Houston. And I think that's what we're going to need out of our next mayor. I think Houston right now, coming out of this pandemic, truly is at a crossroads. And we're at a crossroads where we have a choice to make. We can either go backward, but we can choose to go forward. And I think we are going to choose with this election to go forward in a way that is bold and innovative and creates inclusion and opportunities for every single Houstonian, no matter what part of town you're in, to have an opportunity, not just to live here, but to thrive here. And we've got to define what does that look like? Well, of course, everybody wants to be safe. So having public safety at the forefront, ranging from issues around crime to issues around Blood prevention and, and, and safety around drainage, all of those are critical infrastructure investments that are going to be needed. But going beyond that, dealing with crime is one piece of it, but we've got to deal with the the city's finances because it is so central to a number of the things that people aren't comfortable with when they think about our city when it ties to not having enough police, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So we've got to deal with our finances. Having someone like me with a municipal finance expertise at the helm of the city at a time where it's when it, at its worst financial time is going to be critical. I think we have to look and make sure that we are making a decision. Who do I want flying the plane I'm on <laughs> at this time? And I want to be on a plane with a pilot trained to fly the plane that I'm on. And I think that's critical in terms of looking at a person who has both the vision, but also the expertise that they need in order to execute on that vision. And my vision is how do we make Houston America's future? And make sure that it's known as such. And if you really think about it, so much of our challenges, so many of our challenges, rather, are are challenges that are epic in nature. But we have the opportunity to really be transformative in the solutions that we bring forward and really become a model that other cities can use to follow and really create that quality of life that we are all looking for and deserve in our city. So if you want to check us out, go to www.edwardsforhouston.com. On our website, we certainly have, um, we're opening our campaign office next week. uh, So there'll be more information about that. And you can, of course, follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Fantastic. Fantastic. Wow. Very well Uh, said. It's such a pleasure having you here in Open Forum. And come back again as you get uh, you know, as I, yeah. things get heated up, come back again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're already I'm heated sure, up. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people that were listening are already converted. Oh, yeah. awesome. Well, we have, Thank yeah, you. We've had, we have thousands and thousands of listeners who, yeah. who are shy. They don't call. Yeah. But yes. they listen and they absorb. And they, so, they absorb. So. It's time to dream again. I yes. mean, it's time to be bold. It's time to dream. It's, trying to, it's time to think about what is possible. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, folks, you're listening to Amanda Edwards. She's a candidate for Houston mayor. 2023 in November. We'll take a short break and we'll be right back on Open Forum. Open Forum coming to you live on 106.1 FM every Saturday 4 to 6 p.m. Jagat Dinkar and Subodh welcome you on the best talk show in Houston, Texas. When you talk, everyone listens. This is Open Forum. 
Forum coming to you live on 106.1 FM every Saturday 4 to 6 p.m. Jagat Dinkar and Subodh welcome you on the best talk show in Houston, Texas. When you talk, everyone listens. This is Open Forum. FM every Saturday 4 to 6 p.m. Jagat Dinkar and Subodh welcome you on the best talk show in Houston, Texas. When you talk, everyone listens. This is Open Forum. it while he calls hi this is open forum we are back again uh, this my name is jagat along with subodh in the studio the number to call here is 1888 7491035 we have two we have uh, two topics that we're going to be talking about okay. uh, one uh, is about uh, the senate bill that just is 147 in, it's been proposed 147 we're going to talk right. about that in about 20 minutes but before that we have uh, our guest out here uh, mr palod who has a topic that he wants to uh, talk about Absolutely. Uh, it's a very important topic mr palod how are you doing sir hi namaste subodh ji and jagat ji namaskar kya hal hai aapka i'm fine so i want to uh, you must have heard about it uh, aruna miller right as the new lieutenant governor for the state of maryland you know this is the exciting news because it's the first time in the history one african american mm-hmm. and one indian american were elected at the same time i don't think it normally happens that way no it has never happened wider. this is the never first happened. time first time so mm. always uh, there are new many many new history to done right so just want many of you might not have 
uh, read about or heard about Aruna Miller, but uh, yeah, uh, educate me because I've right. I've yeah, barely I, know yeah, about yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, but for the general public, you need to talk Please about it us. because they may not be yes, they knowing about it. I know personally, but uh, doesn't matter. You need to talk about who Aruna Miller is. Yeah, like we have most of us know that there are five Congress uh, elected from uh, Indian community. Uh, so, but uh, a lot of people don't know that we do have a lieutenant governor as Aruna Miller from the state of Maryland. Mm-hmm. In the past, I think we had two governors. I think uh, one was uh, Bobby Jindal and other other one, yeah, Bobby Jindal. And, right. Yeah, and uh, the other one is uh, uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, uh, Nikki Haley, and uh, but this is the third one, uh, not as a governor, but lieutenant governor. And here, I want to say, when she came to Houston in 2018, uh, uh, because of my relationship with his Kavita's father-in-law, he asked me to host um, a, a fundraising event for her. So I readily accepted, and it was a very successful fundraising. But for some reason, she got not, did not get elected for the primary, and there's a good reason. I always think about something happens, maybe good reason, mm-hmm. and. They, because because she lost that election i think in my opinion this position it might be more important than a being a congress person so that time i had a very i just want to say that like, i i happened to be fortunate and had done a couple of things for example to go back to tulsi gabbard when i got a call first time from a friend of mine from hawaii to do the fund send a check for her then i said why do i send need to send a check she mm-hmm. has no chance of getting elected then he told me quoted me geeta Uh, do your Ramadan and uh, don't ask for the results. And the same thing, uh, uh, and she got elected, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And right. now the second time it happened was when Aruna Miller came. I'd never thought about that. She had got to be contested in a second, a bigger position. So while we're driving the car, I asked her a question, what makes you a proud Hindu? And uh, as you know, some of you have taken a vote under Bhagavad Gita. So, uh, the previous two um, governors did not do that, I think. She might be one of the highest elected positions to quote under Bhagavad Gita, and it, it was uh, uh, loudly tel- telecasted. So, that time I asked a question to her. Uh, Arunaji, uh, because uh, being uh, what I am, I always ask this question to anybody I donate money, if I know that they happen to be a Hindu. And I asked the same question to her. So she said, uh, very interesting, Vijayji, nobody has asked me a question before, so let me think about it. And uh, then she quoted my name, and she did, she mentioned that uh, um, that uh, she'd, um, she explained what Hinduism is as for her. And I quote from the Indo-American News, she said, Hinduism is not just a religion, but a way of life and a form of expression. So this is how she defined. Hmm. So, uh, though I just want to share this news because a lot of people don't know about it, and uh, <coughs> we should celebrate. And I'm very happy that everybody should be proud what they are. Absolutely <coughs> right. Uh, like uh, when uh, Mr. Larani got elected for mm-hmm. Texas representative, right. he was very proud, and he, he mentioned that hey, I'm going <coughs> to vote under his faith. Right. And uh, I support that. But okay, this country at least we should not be afraid of. Uh, Of your identity. Right. That's all I want to mention to you. That I'm very proud of Aruna Miller, and she had a very, very celebration around. Yeah. Her, around it, seventeen to eighteen thousand people came yeah. to 
Well, in in Bobby Jindal's case, I mm-hmm. think he basically, when he was in high school, he became a Christian mm-hmm. uh, from a Hindu. I mean, the parents still are Hindus, but he basically has converted himself to Christian, so his wife too. Mm-hmm. And so apparently, when he became a governor... How about Nikki Haley? Nikki Haley, I do not know, but I think she took an oath uh, uh, with a with a Bible. All right. Yes. Uh, but uh, yeah. listen, I you think... You think some of it is political? Because you know... It is absolutely... It is absolutely apolitical. There okay. is no question about it. But, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, state constitutions are very different than the federal constitution. Mm-hmm. The federal constitution doesn't talk about taking an oath on a Bible or any other book. But you can if you want to. But you can if you want to. But it doesn't say anything that you have to take an oath on Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, that for example, there were two, two uh, precedents in American history that they did not use Bible uh, when they took the oath. Okay. Okay. So, but uh, again, I'm making very clear that the state... Constitution and the federal constitution, the constitution of the country is very different. So, for example, there are about 25 states in America that requires that you take an oath under by, on, uh, on, on Bible, or not on Bible, but some religious book, uh, you know, and that says, uh, so help me God. Mm-hmm. Even, even both, uh, to help uh, to so help me God is not even in the part of the original constitution. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, it's every every time it's used, you know. So I that Vijay is bringing out a, a, a good point. I know? think I think uh, it's it's a very important thing that you definitely right keep your identity right. and be proud of it. Absolutely, I be mean, proud. We, of we are all yeah? all of us right on this earth have been given a brain right, and we are all smart right. And we all work hard. Right. And we all have, each one has our own identity. Right. We should obviously celebrate each other's um, yeah. cultures, yeah. each other's religion. And that's generally how right. the world does work. Right. There'll always be pockets. Now you see in Afghanistan, Taliban oh is doing God. crazy Let's stuff not, out oh there. Gosh, and then you could, you could argue other places in the world. Right. You true, know, true, some true. people might say there are some fanatics in India from both sides, you right. know, both, both uh, religions or three religions, whatever you want to call it who do their own, you know, have their own right. fanaticism. And someone will say same thing in uh, the Middle East. They may right. be, you know, uh, on both sides, right. in Palestine and the other side. So the, um, what I'm saying is right. that goes on, but more or less 90% of the world celebrates each yeah. other's cultures, religion, and has an identity. Uh, okay. I mean, we're talking not just about that, but uh, Jagat, you and I were talking earlier about the new Senate bill that's going to be coming out. 147. Senate, one, uh, the, the bill 147, yes. which basically says what? There's a proposed bill. It's a proposed bill, right. To prohibit land sales to entities and individuals. Remember, it's entities and individuals with ties to North Korea, Russia, China, and Iran. Iran. Those right. four countries four have countries. been... Uh, have been Typically called right. the enemies right. of USA, as you know, a lo- lot of presidents have openly said that. So here's a bill that is uh, a Senate bill, 147. Right. Never, right. The, you know, it's not even a uh, a House bill; it's a Senate bill it's out a there, Senate bill. Right. and it has been proposed by who now? Senate, uh, there is a senator. Senate, out, uh, right. our, our senator yeah, right. in Fort Bend County. She has done it, uh, uh, Louise. Uh, I keep forgetting her last yeah, name. Yeah, it's her name. Yeah, right. yeah, and and she has proposed this, 
and it it is obviously uh, causing a huge hue and cry right because uh, remember america is made of hundreds of ethnicities yeah my god right? maybe maybe more more yeah, and I then then where yeah. do you draw the line yeah. and and tomorrow if they say jagat you cannot right. do the same thing where right. do you draw the line and yeah. that and that's why you don't just yeah. leave your identity unfortunately i need to you are absolutely right we'll talk about 147 yeah. but i also want to talk about uh, aroda miller here mm-hmm. apparently there is there is a group called indian american uh, muslim council right i a mc yeah apparently they went and you know uh, they were they were protesting mm-hmm. uh, because apparently for whatever reason you know uh, no reason whatsoever yeah but they did anyway simply because uh, they considered her to be uh, uh, following hindutva and not hindu religion but hindutva mm-hmm. now you know how do they define just because you are a hindu all of a sudden you do not belong to hindutva a uh, group you know like mm-hmm. you said very rightly that there are some fringe elements in every religion that are going to take advantage of it of that doesn't mean that the iamc had that uh, that that should never consider that she belongs to that fringe group yeah. no one in america particularly of our the uh, 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 descent mm-hmm. would ever belong to that kind of a group mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and being a lieutenant governor of of a, a state in america i think that that is beyond the pale you know that's that's the way i look at it and so iamc was absolutely wrong thank god that the, it was a small protest mm-hmm. but it was still a protest there and i think they need to get a message loud and clear mm-hmm. that this should never be tolerated right well and and there's always going to be groups like that that will always 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 whether the candidate actually does it or not will there'll be allegations thrown it's easy to protest in a democratic country right. you, you take a right. uh, you, you take the permission you take 60 yeah. p- people go and protest right. there'll always be 60 people out there right. any side of the aisle you look at right. they can come out and protest luckily it's a free country protest right. but the but what happens it it is skews the actual facts of the matter exactly and that, that starts hurting people right and you but know what, what happens is that i honest i many people may not believe it but what i believe is that by doing this yeah. whatever that group recognition is they are losing it yes they, it okay. goes away because then you say ye to yaar karte hain hamesha karte hain exactly isko chodo right we understand that but the general public does not let's take also daniel's uh, input uh daniel what's yes. on your mind sir i'll conclude my yeah one minute uh, uh, parod sir just hold on Daniel go go for it are you there or no yes yeah go ahead yes yes yeah go ahead daniel okay this is the problem okay kamala hari is the vice president okay right bobby jindal became the governor nikki haley became the governor right all they happen to be christian right okay that is how they took their oath right aranamilla just because she took a oath on the bhagavad gita mm-hmm. that is the one you want to celebrate absolutely okay, so want to celebrate but you never celebrated kamala harris or bobby jindal mm-hmm. or nikki haley because they became christians but how do you know that how do you know we didn't celebrate yeah. we didn't how do you know how do you know we didn't celebrate nikki haley or bobby jindal we celebrate 
We did not celebrate. I did not celebrate Kamla because of the Democratic Party versus Republican and her ideologies. But but Jagat definitely celebrated that. I celebrated Bobby Jindal and I celebrated Nikki Haley because they think the way I think. Daniel, I have nothing to do with the Daniel, religion. Daniel, hold on just a minute. Daniel, hold on. Hold hold on. on. Daniel, hold on. You didn't on hear anything I said. Yeah. Hold right. on just a minute. What I'm saying is that when Bobby Jindal became a governor of Texas, I mean, of Louisiana, mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, uh, I do not know, you may not be aware of it, the Indian American community in Houston raised about $30,000. And when he became a governor, some of us were invited uh, at his ceremony also. And so there was a celebration. I particularly did not go there because I don't belong to the Republican Party. But uh, that doesn't mean that I was not proud of Bobby Jindal, even though he was a Christian. But just because he happened he to be... Indo-American news. Why are you so... Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hey, uh, Daniel, Daniel, hold on. Hold on and listen. I'm going to put you off otherwise. Hold on and listen, okay? Because you're making allegations that you have no basis on. Why are you saying that you, Jagat and I... No, hold on, okay. He, you're going to be cut off if you don't listen. So hold on and listen. Why do you make allegations about other people? Why do you become so phobic about others? Why do you think Jagat and I think, why do you saying that we would not celebrate? We celebrated those at our party level. We didn't have anything to do with the religious exactly. thing at we all. We don't have anything to do with Nothing. the Nothing. Nada. Nada. Zero. Zero. Nada. Zero. So you cannot, you know, your allegations are baseless. As as they are ninety percent of the time, but and not only that, I'm going to, to go. I'm going to go, Daniel. Daniel, hold on. I'm going to go and say this also yeah. that those who are strong Hindu believers in this country, and if they want to celebrate uh, uh, her winning yeah. Aruna Miller's What's wrong? winning, there is nothing wrong in it. Right. Right, there's nothing wrong. That uh, is the only one you want to celebrate. But that's what you're alleging. That's your allegation. <laughs> 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 You don't mm -hmm. want to celebrate Bobby Jindal. You don't want to celebrate Nikki Haley. Okay, so that's okay. what you're alleging. But that's uh, Bobby, that's wrong. Unfortunately, uh, you're wrong. We celebrated those people right. on party lines, even not on, on not on religious lines. Listen, even on open forum, we talked about it, but many times. Article? Yeah. Did you read that article in the Chronicle? I don't care about Chronicle. Uh, I yeah. never read the Chronicle. It's a useless paper. You are the person who reads it. Yeah. All right, let's go on. Okay, that topic is over. Yeah. Okay, so don't don't be don't uh, don't don't be throwing allegations Listen. without knowing. Listen. Especially Listen. personal allegations are very very uh, terrible. Uh, when you do that, okay, don't get uh, Daniel. All I'm going to say, Daniel. All I'm going to say is that open forum is 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 a show of a dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a one man show. So, anytime that me and Shubodh is talking, so please listen. And when you speak, you know we will listen to you. There you go. Okay. Right. Thank so, you so, so much. So again, allegations are bad, and and we celebrated. I'll give you the bottom line. We celebrate. We celebrate. We are two of us out here. I celebrated Nikki Haley and I celebrated Bobby Jindal based on the Republican ideologies. A, a young man out here, Jagat Kamdar, he celebrated uh, our vice president based on her ideologies that match with his ideologies. We had nothing to do with religion out here at all. We None have, whatsoever. We have Mr. We have uh, uh, we have uh, we have uh, Mr. Palot calling us, and he's celebrating. Aruna Miller because he's met her and he likes her ideologies 
and anything else he wants to celebrate he has a right to do that right. you have a no right to allege anything let me take another caller out here uh, john how are you doing my friend hi greetings and well wishes to all of you same uh, to you happy new year having a very uh, very interesting show i just want to make a quick comment yes sir you know the the the, the book called the four agreements is about the ancient uh, american indian indigenous people philosophy uh-huh. and the four agreement is when you speak your words are impeccable right the second agreement is you don't assume anything about anybody right right the third thing is don't think don't take things personal yes and, and the last thing is always do your best There you go. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. You were having a discussion. Right. I just want to make the comment. That's all. Thanks. Yes, John. I, I think that those are, those are priceless, uh, priceless sentences or words. Right. And we, we really appreciate you listening. John is one of our listeners. Absolutely. If I forget what I said two years ago, he'll remember he it. Because remember. he actually listened to us right. every time that he's in town or out of town I sometimes. Know. Yeah, right. John, thank you yeah. so much. And John also always comes and supports us when we do our fundraiser. Absolutely at least, does. At, right. at least uh, we have one person thank we can say. Thank, thank and of course, so does Palod. Thank you. Well, let's see. There's another caller out here. Maybe Daniel calling again on a wireless caller. Go ahead. How are you doing today? Hi, uh, I'm, I'm actually, my name is Akram. Hi, Akram. How are you doing? Wow. Okay, good, good, good. I was just actually driving home, but anyway, uh, I I just wanted to ask you who, what party does the uh, congressman belong to that wants to uh, ban Chinese and Russian and uh, Iranian? No, no, no uh, not congressman. No, no, no. It's a senator it's from a, Texas. It's a Texas. This is only related in te- to Texas, and uh, basically, it's not a federal law. It's not a federal law. This is only applies Her to Texas. Her name is Lewis. Uh, and the last name I, I'm going to find it and tell you in one second because I always oh okay it's Lewis Kolkhorst uh, she's a it's senator right. in Fort Bend County she is part of Fort Bend County uh, she's the uh, senator there and she's proposing this bill yeah. in our Texas Senate not in the not in Washington I got you gotcha and, and, and she is a Republican is, okay Akram let me tell you one thing hold on yeah, she is. hold on just a minute you, you are really breaking out but let me say this This is just a bill yet it is not been even introduced yeah. and what uh, the the governor has said that if the bill is passed by both the houses uh, then he will sign, sign on it yes he wants to sign that he yeah. wants to sign that so but unless <coughs> that happens then that's a long process as you know you know so so akram just akram because you called and there are thousands of people listening i'm going to repeat that sentence again senate bill 147 prohibits land sales or acquisition by companies or entities with ties to North Korea, Russia, China and Iran. These are the four countries yeah. that have been designated by a lot of uh, politicians and leaders as enemies of United States of America. And right. and I mean you can go to their speeches and you'll see that Okay, the reason this bill came out, the reason this bill the thinking of coming out in the open right now and is going to be discussed in the senate first the reason is because chinese government chinese entity were going to buy about some 70 acres or about 100 acres close to one of the bases in texas mm-hmm. a military base in texas very close to and that prompted uh, this particular bill it's not only here but in many other states also that they wanted to buy some land 
closer to military the base. military base, you know. And so it's a, it's a concern for for America alle- right now. And the allegation, of course, is that they'll be able to spy on them. That's right. What allegation was. is. Then now, question going to be raised when it comes out on the floor, that particularly when Subodh mentioned that individual, so are we talking about in individual though who happens to be the citizens of America? USA, if Chinese yes. happens to be a citizen, would they be also banned uh, well, buying some property? So those are the kind well, of questions. So the second, but these are the legalities. Right, you know. The second paragraph, yeah. Akram, the second paragraph says it in, that includes governmental entities, like you just mentioned, companies with headquarters in, in those countries, right. or companies controlled uh, by specific nations, those specified nations. It also goes on to say that individuals who are citizens of the four nations will be prohibited from right. purchasing real property. So from this, from this, what I conclude is that any Chinese living in this country who happens, card, to be, happens to be a citizen or a green card, this law would not apply to them. Why? It, sh- it would, because it says, it goes on to say, individuals who are citizens, so you could be holding a green card, and you could be a citizen of China. You could have. You could still live in Fort Bend County. What will happen to those properties there? So those are the issues that are going to those come up. Those are going up. to be coming up. Yeah. And that's why yeah. there was a rally. Uh, there were some, uh, you know, politicians right. who rallied against this in Fort Bend County. Yeah. Uh, our judge, KP George, was talking against it. And uh, you know, I I, I know I, my friend Chhatriwala is listening, and it, I did tell him, please invite Lalani. And please invite uh, Roy Reynolds uh, right. uh, to also call in if they can give us their input in what do they think. Right. Um, you know, especially for folks like uh, us who are immigrants, you know, will this stop only at these four countries or will they then extrapolate to some other countries also? Well, I only, I sincerely hope if we're going back into the history, Akram, I will give you a time, okay? Let me finish this. Okay, sure. Uh, particularly in Second World War, even in the First World War, but let's talk about Second World War. Because of the World War and because of the Japan mm. entering into the World War, all the Japanese Americans were interned in this country. Yeah. I hope that it doesn't come to that end. You know, that's that's all uh, that I want to say. Uh, Akram, go ahead. It's your time now. Yes, yes. I just want to say that uh, every few decades, I, I, that, that's what I, this is my feeling. Every few decades, Republicans 